Hallelujah. Isn't that good? I wouldn't change one thing living for God with you this morning and uh, other than I'd live more dedicated in my Christian life. You'll stand with us, Luke chapter number 9 this morning. Luke chapter number 9, I ask you to pray with us and for us and uh, God, uh, that God would help us this morning. We sure need a touch from Him and uh, I just appreciate the Lord. Luke chapter number 9 and uh, praying that God will move in our services and that God will do some things in some people's hearts this morning that certainly needs to be done. We need revival. Can I get a witness on that? We need revival. Amen. Certainly this morning and God's able to do that. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 27. The Bible says, But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass about eight days after these things he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there taught with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I ask you this morning to give us liberty. I know the devil, Lord, would want to do anything he could to hinder the working of thy spirit. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have preeminence this morning. Give us that anointing, God, that we need. I pray you'd hold back the forces of hell. May the power of God be real, sinners be saved, backsliders get right. Lord, no doubt in this morning there's people that need to do business with you on this altar. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd move this morning as only you can. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to say this morning, I've got a message and I've got a thought and this is where I'm starting. And uh, by the grace of God, it may be where we end up and it may not be this morning. I just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice with me in this passage of Scripture, uh, you're familiar with the story here concerning the Mount of Transfiguration. I didn't read the entirety of this text because that there's simply just a thought in the early portion of this story here, this text, that I want to lift out and by the help of God preach on this subject. I want you to notice concerning this event, We, if you've read the story concerning the Mount of Transfiguration, you know that this is an account that is giving also in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, and then again it's mentioned here in our text in the book of Luke. And each one of these men, as they talk about this event, they mention the same thing. They both say a lot of the same things, but then each one of them gives specific details in their own account. Well, when I think about that this morning, there's, I want you to see, first of all, in verse number 27, I want you to notice the period of time in which this event took place. I want you to see this morning when this event took place and I want you to see what happened. The Bible said in verse 27, this is a verse that uh, my friend Matthew, Mark, and Luke all three used to uh, lead into this account concerning the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. So what is the period of time uh, that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about what's going to happen on this Mount of of transfiguration. He is telling them that what is going to take place, although they do not understand what he is talking about, but he's about to give them a preview of the king and the kingdom that is soon to come. And that is the period of time Christ is going to reveal himself in all of his glory. And they're about to see that. In fact, Luke says in verse number 28, and it came to pass, notice this, about eight days after these sayings. Now Luke says it was eight days. If you 
look in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, they both say it was six days. I want to say there's no contradiction in the Word of God. Amen? Luke does not say that it was eight days, but he says it was about eight days. And the reason for that is because verse 28 says that it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. What Luke is doing, he is counting the day that Jesus told this, and he's no doubt counting the day that this was fulfilled when they was on that mountain. And so, my friend, there was six days in between. And Matthew and Mark says there was six days. Luke says it was about eight days concerning the promise and then the fulfillment of what Jesus says in verse number 20. Say, boy, I love the Word of God, don't you? I'm glad there's no contradiction in this Bible. But the period of time or this event is important. And then I want to say the people in verse number 28 who witnessed this event are important. Notice the Bible says in verse 28 that after these sayings, he take he took Peter and John and James. He took those three men with him to the top of Mount of the Mount of Transfiguration. When I think about that over in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 33, it was the same three men that went into Jairus' house whenever Jesus shut the door and put them on the other side and healed his daughter. And my friend, when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, it was Peter, James, and John that was on the inside with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then if you look in the book of Mark in chapter, I believe it's chapter number uh, uh, 14, I think it is, when Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane, he takes Peter, James, and John into the garden of Gethsemane with him when he goes to pray. Now why is Jesus taking these three men uh, into with him into these very intimate places? I want to say, my friend, it's probably no doubt because amongst all the disciples that Jesus had chosen, these three men were the most devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean the other disciples were not devoted, but there's a deeper devotion that is seen in Peter, James, and John that we read about in any of the other disciples. You remember the Bible says in the book of John that Jesus, or that John was the one that laid his head upon Jesus' bosom. And then it was Peter that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. My friend, when James was that one that whenever the Samaritans would not receive Christ, it was James that wanted to call fire down from heaven and devour them. I want to stop and say that probably wasn't a good idea, but it does reveal the devotion that James had for the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus is teaching us that the greater the devotion to Christ, the greater that God is going to use us and let us be closer to him. Can somebody say amen to that? Brother, we live in a time when people need to be devoted, don't they? This is the most uncommitted, unconcerned. This is the laziest generation that there ever has been when we talk about Christianity. Men gave their lives for this Bible and we'll find that out on King James Sunday. But I'm telling you, listen, there were men that laid their lives on the line and was burned at the stake and gave their entire family so that you and I can hold a copy of this book in our hand and folks in this day and time are too lazy to even pick it up and read it and call themselves a dedicated Christian. Friend, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one of these days uh, and find out where we really stood with God. But I think the period of time of this event is important. I think the people that was involved in this event is important. And then I think the place of this event is important. Notice what the Bible said in verse 28, that they went up into a mountain. Now that can only be one of the two mountains there that the Word of God is talking about. It's either Mount Tabor or it's either Mount Hermon. It has to be one of those two mountains. 
mountains. I personally believe, and other some commentators believe it's a Mount it's Mount Tabor, and some believe that it's Mount Hermon. I personally believe it's Mount Hermon, and I'll tell you why. Because in Matthew 16, the Bible says that Jesus was ministering in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and it wasn't right after Christ got through ministering there, he takes them up into this high mountain. I want to tell you, Mount Hermon is a mountain with three peaks on it, and the highest point is 9,000 feet high. That's a pretty high mountain, amen? And Jesus was ministering right at the base of that mountain, and then I believe he took them right up in the top of Mount Hermon, amen? And the place of this event is important. The people of this event is important. I want to say the period of time is important, but the thought that I want to preach on this morning is the purpose of this event this morning is very important. You say, Brother Gravely, what was the purpose of this event? Look at verse number 28. The Bible says in the latter part of that verse that they went up into a mountain, notice this, to pray. Verse number 29 says, and as he prayed. You know why Jesus took them up into this mountain? Now there's some other reasons other than this. But the first reason we find that Christ took them into this mountain was to pray. Isn't that clear this morning in this text? He took them to pray, and the Bible says, and as he prayed, the Bible talks about that his countenance was altered. The Bible talks about that his clothing, the word of God said, was, was white and glistering. And then notice what the Bible says in verse number 31, talking about Moses and Elias here in verse 31, who appeared in glory. You know what happens on the top of this mountain that makes it so special? Is Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of that mountain. He takes them up there with a purpose to pray. And as he's on top of that mountain, our Lord finds him a place. He gets down, no doubt, upon his face and he begins to pray as he did so many often times before. And as Jesus begins to pray, something happens on the top of this mountain that had never happened before and has never happened since, my friend, in humanity. You see, say, what is that? I want to say, my friend, the humanity of Christ had to give way to the manifestation of the deity of Christ. As Jesus is beginning to pray on the top of that mountain, all of a sudden his deity overtakes and overrides his humanity and the glory of God begins to come out of him. You know what Jesus did on top of that mountain? And this is what I want to preach on. He prayed in the glory of God. Amen. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on this subject on praying in the glory. Amen. I sat there this morning I thought to myself Lord if there's ever a Sunday we need to get on our knees and pray in the glory of God. We need to do that right now. You see friend there's something this generation needs to get a hold of. You'll never sing in the glory and I want to sing in the glory. Don't you? I don't want to just sing them songs. I'm not looking for just a good tune. I'm not just looking for a fancy note. I'm telling you friend I want to sing in the glory when we sing them songs. And I want to preach in the glory, don't you? I don't want to just preach and preach with a good outline or, or listen with some intellect. I'm telling you, there's one thing we need above everything else. We need the touch of God. Amen. And I want to worship in the glory too. Can I tell you something? You'll never sing. You'll never preach. You'll never worship in the glory until you first pray in the glory. Amen. 
Ain't something every man of God in this building needs to get a hold of. Thank God for good books and thank God for good learning. You're to get all you can. And I'm telling you, listen, nothing substitutes getting in a closet somewhere alone with God and praying the power of God on your life. Amen. I'm telling you, friend, we need it in our services. We need it in our homes. We need it as Christian witnesses. We need to pray in the glory of God. I see so many long faces and dead lives in church nowadays. I think I'm going to have to start cashing my paycheck and uh, breaking it up in $20 bills and offering people 20 bucks just to say amen Why I preach in church. You hear how quiet that is? Friend, it used to not be that way 10 years ago. I'm talking about in this church. Hey, look up here. I'm preaching this morning. I'm talking about, friend, we need to pray in the glory. There's something wrong this morning when you can go to church and sit on a, a pew like a knot on a log uh, and wonder when we're going to the house. Uh, I'll tell you what they used to. They came to church uh, and they didn't leave till they met with God. Amen. And we need to get back to that. Uh, uh, we need revival. We need repentance. Uh, uh, we need to get our hearts right with God. We need to get sin out of our life. Uh, we need to get on an altar of confession. Uh, we need to move of God, the touch of God. If we don't have it, our children's going to go to hell. Uh, I'm telling you, friend, our homes are going to fall apart. We need to pray in the glory of God today. And Jesus is doing that in our text, friend. Our Savior is praying in the glory. I want to tell you, my friend, when Moses come off the mountaintop after being with God on top of that mountain, the Bible said the glory of God was seen on his face. It was so bright they had to put a veil on him. But can I tell you something about that glory? That glory was only a reflection off the face of Moses of the glory of God. But when Jesus is praying on this mountain, it's no reflection, friend. I'm telling you, this is not something that is bouncing off of him, that's shining upon him. This is coming from within, and that's because he is God. I want to tell you, God will not share his glory with anybody, but he will show his glory to everybody that is hungry and wants to see the power and the glory of God. Amen. David said, he said to see thy power and thy glory so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. I tell you, I don't want to go to church and not see God. Isn't that right? The most important thing on this day is not that you get a good, decent meal. Wouldn't hurt any of us to fast today. It's not that you get a nap. Isn't that right? It's not that you watch NASCAR. God help if you do. Amen. Amen. It's not that you watch golf. I'm telling you, listen, I just seem to watch grass grow and paint dry to watch golf. It's not that you go home and watch the Braves lose another Sunday or that you watch whoever's doing what. I'm going to tell you the most important thing on the heaven's agenda this morning is that we hear from heaven, friend, and we need to pray in the glory of God. We need the power of God in this time. What I see is Jesus is praying in verse 29. I see, my friend, that praying in the glory, that it changed his countenance. Amen. The Bible says in verse 29 that the Bible says, and as he prayed, Notice this, the fashion of his countenance was altered. When Jesus started praying in the glory, Brother Ronnie, I'm telling you, his countenance began to change. Can I tell you something about church? When people get wrapped up in the glory, it'll change their countenance, friend. It'll put a smile on their face. It'll put a spring in their step. It'll put some joy in their heart. I tell you, as I said a while ago, I see a lot of people sit in church and they never smile. In fact, I've seen people that used to smile 
Some sitting here this morning, you look like you got the weight of the world upon your shoulders. I see some of you, you're still mad about what I announced right before church. Well, you can get mad, you can get sad, you can get glad. Doesn't make no difference to me. I'm telling you, friend, I'm going to stand like I've always stood for 18 years in this church. And if you think I'm going to have to go home and take a half a baby aspirin for what I said this morning, you're crippled too high for crutches. Amen. Brother, I'm telling you, there are just some things we're not going to back up on and apologize. In fact, I may just have to set this plow real deep, Brother Charles. I may just have to plow up some fallow ground so we can see some people get saved and get born again in this church. Amen. Brother, I'm telling you, listen, Jesus began to pray and his countenance was changed. Amen. You know, sometimes the devil try to defeat you. He'll try to depress you. He'll try to discourage you. But in that secret place, God knows how to overshadow you. Brother, I'm telling you, I've went to that place thinking my whole world was a crashing in. I've went to that place, listen, thinking God was nowhere's inside. I'm telling you, if you ever get a hold of the horns of the altar, and if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you ever get in touch with God, I'm telling you, you'll come out of that prayer closet stepping high. You'll come out of that prayer closet with tears running down your face. You'll come out of that prayer closet with your faith and courage, knowing that no matter how it looks, God is going to take care of you. Man, I feel about an acre of heaven in my soul this morning. I feel so good right now, Brother Cape. I'm saying, friend, it works. Pray it in the glory of God. will work. Hallelujah. Woo, thank God. Brother, I'm telling you, it's good as a cat head biscuit on Monday morning. Amen. I'm talking about, friend, when you get a hold of God, it'll change your countenance. Amen. I've watched people my years of pastoring. I've watched them sit in church and smile and love God. Sin get in their life. Friend, they start backsliding on God. And the first thing that changes is their countenance. I'm not saying we all come in grinning like a possum every Sunday, but we ought to. As he sung that song a while ago, we got shoes on our feet and clothes on our back. God's been so good to us. I'm, I don't care, friend. Listen, we live in the land of the free, still the home of the brave. I'm telling you, we ought to be smiling every Sunday. You say, well, I got burdens. Who don't? But you're not being tied to a stake. You're not, listen, being put in prison. I'm telling you, you're not getting your heads cut off right now. And so you ought to be smiling anyway. And I'm going to tell you, when sin gets in your life, it'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of your victory. You'll sit in church and the service will sing long. The preacher you once loved, all of a sudden, he's not your best friend anymore. You know why? Because he's a preaching on your sin. I'm saying this morning, I thank God for a preacher. And I'm not talking about me. I'm telling you, I'm talking about the 28 years I've been saved. Listen, Brother McDaniel, I thank God for every preacher that God put in my path that would take that black back book and preach against the sin that was in my life. I'm telling you, they kept me from shipwreck. They kept me from going down a life and a road that I could have went down. Don't you thank God for preaching this morning? It'll help you, friend. It'll clean your arteries out. Amen. It'll clean your heart out. I'm telling you, it'll dress up your life. Uh, brother, listen, uh, a good old-fashioned preaching that's been prayed in the glory of God will change your countenance. Then secondly, I want to say this morning, praying in the glory not only changed his countenance, but, oh, Lord, hold your breath. It changed his clothing. 
notice what the Bible says here in verse number 29. And his raiment was white and glistering. Notice that the, 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 the clothing of Christ was changed. It changed his countenance, but then it changed his clothing. Meaning, my friend, that his clothing went from earthly to heavenly. Amen. Can I just stop and say this? I believe when you get saved, I know people's got to grow. I believe your clothing will go from earthly to heavenly. Amen. Now I'm telling you, friend, his clothing went heavenly. The Bible said it was white, talking about purity. It was glistering. That word glistering. I'm not a Greek theologian this morning, but if you study it out, that word in the Greek simply means to flash like lightning. Amen. Can you imagine this? Brother Laddie, Jesus starts praying, and all of a sudden his countenance changes. Matthew said that he began to shine as bright as the sun. The face of our Lord began to shine brighter than the sun. Then all of a sudden it went from his face. My friend, you know why it started in his face? Because the face is the image of the father. Amen. I'm telling you, look at a man and look at your boy and say, you know, he looks like his daddy. You know why? Because that's the image of the father. You see, Daniel, when I look at your son, he looks just like you. He's the image of the father. Jesus is praying on that mountaintop and the first thing that reveals the glory of God is his face because Christ is the image of his father. In fact, he's so much God that Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you have seen the father. Amen. In other words, looking at Jesus uh, is just like looking at God. Oh, Peter, James, and John, when they saw Jesus in his glory, they saw the glory of God coming out of his face, uh, but it went from his face uh, into his clothing. Hallelujah. His clothing changed. His raiment was different. The Bible said it was wide, it was pure, it was glistering, it was flashing like lightning. I'm telling you, friend, you could look at him and you could see the glory of God on him. Now, I know it's summertime, and don't y'all get quiet because I'm preaching this morning. But I'm telling you, it's summertime, and you can find out who loves God and who don't love God sometimes. I'm telling you, friend, listen, I'm talking about, listen, sometimes uh, you say, well, preacher, I don't like that kind of preaching. I can't help it, friend. It's the word of God. I'm telling you, listen, I was in church uh, on Monday night. I'm talking about being in church on Monday night. And listen, gave the invitation, turned it over to the pastor, went right down there and sat where Miss Allen is sitting. And as I was standing there in that during that altar call, there was a, a bunch of young people over here on the right side of this altar. And thank God that they were in the altar. I I appreciate that. But I'm telling you, I never seen so much nakedness in church as I did on Monday night. My spirit was so grieved in the house of God. Friend, we're messed up in this country when everybody wants to take their clothes off and nobody wants to put their clothes on. You say, preacher, are you just riding a hobby horse? No, I'm just telling you, friend, without holiness, no man's gonna see the Lord. He said to come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. I'm telling you, friend, listen, when you go to the house of God, you ought to look like a Christian if you say you are one. Amen. That's right. I'm telling you, listen, I'm not saying you got to wrap a towel around your head. Amen. But I'm telling you, you ought to clothe yourself. Boy, I hit a stump right there, Brother Kate. I'm just going to back up and run over it again, I reckon. It's pitiful today. You young people, listen to me. God didn't design clothes for you to take them off, he designed them so you could put them on. Somebody say amen to that. And it's a shame. We got so many perverts running around this country today. 
If I'm telling you, you better be careful how that you clothe yourself. You young boys need to keep looking like boys. Amen. You girls look like girls this morning. I'm talking about if you get the glory of God on you, it'll change some things. Oh, it changed from the inside first. Uh, the glory of God came from within. You can't clean somebody up on the outside if they ain't never been cleaned up on the inside. But you rest assured, if God ever cleans them up on the inside, and if you'll be patient and give them a little bit of time, they'll clean up on the outside, won't they? Amen. I'm just saying, my friend, it changed his countenance. It changed his clothing. You know, this is what I would have preached last Sunday morning and service broke out and God didn't want me to preach it but God knows everything amen I just don't preach a sermon because God gives it to me I preach it when the Holy Ghost lays it on my heart and I'm telling you I believe I'm preaching this morning 150% in the will of God I'm just telling you right now friend if you pray in the glory there'll be an inward change and there'll be an outward change there's a price to be paid not to be saved if you're lost this morning, it don't cost you nothing to be saved. But to be a Christian, there's a price. You will be despised by this world. The people that despised Jesus the most were not the, it was not the publicans and the sinners. It was the scribes and the Pharisees. Hear me well this morning. The greatest conflict on the church is not from without. It's from within. Amen? I'm telling you, the Bible talks about in Matthew 13 that the, the enemy came in and planted tares among the wheat. And this congregation this morning is made up of two kinds of people, saved and lost, religious and non-religious. And I wonder this morning how many people sitting in this church, I am not someone to cast doubt upon people's salvation. I don't even like it when preachers do that. But I wonder how many people this morning has just got a form of godliness. By the way, may I say this, you can clean the outside up, but if you ain't been saved, you're not going to heaven. The Pharisees wove the word of God in their clothing. They wore scriptures, but it didn't make them saved. You can be a Pharisee this morning. Listen, you can be a super saint and have all these convictions and all these standards and everything. And I'm going to tell you, if that's all you got, friend, you're twice dead, plucked up from the roots, Jesus said. You're not even saved. I don't do what I do this morning because of a list of rules. I don't do what I do this morning because I want, to, I want somebody to see me. I don't do what I do this morning because I even want to make you happy or because I pastor this church. None of those things mean anything to me this morning when it comes to the reason and the motive and the purpose as to how we live our life. I'm not perfect this morning. You're not perfect this morning. God deals with me about sin in my life on a daily basis. But I want to tell you something this morning, friend. When you get saved, there'll be somebody that'll live on the inside of you and the reason that I have things in my life, convictions and standards and those principles is because I believe it with all of my heart and it's because of a relationship that I have with him. And that relationship, if you've got it this morning, it will bind you to some things in this walk of life. I wonder this morning, oh, I feel a burden. I wonder who in this building needs to get right with God, get saved. I'm talking about praying in the glory. It changed his countenance. It changed his clothing. And then I want to say it changed his company. The Bible said in verse number 30, And behold, there were there taught with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. 
Notice the company of Christ changed when he got into glory. Two other men from glory show up. You know what glory does? It attracts glory. You know what glory does? It'll not only show up on you, but it'll show up on somebody else. Boy, I like to see the glory of God pass by a service. I like it whenever God starts moving, whether it's in the singing or the preaching or whatever. But when the glory of God shows up in a service, I've seen it many times and you have too, it'll get on one person and it'll splash over on somebody else. Isn't that the way it is? It connects one with another. You know why that is? Because if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside. And what happens is, is when Jesus prayed in the glory, Moses shows up and Elijah shows up. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the, the prophets and Peter. Peter, James, and John, they represent the apostles and the gospel and the New Testament, amen? But in the midst of all of those men, you know what you've got? You've got the very living word itself. The Lord Jesus Christ is standing there in all of his glory. His, his glory just got over on somebody else's glory. And I tell you, when I come to church, I want the glory of God on me. When I preach, I want the glory of God on me. When you sing, I want the glory of God on you. When you testify, I want the glory of God on you. We need the glory of God. I don't ever want to change by the grace of God. Boy, I tell you, we've watched a lot of good people go, haven't we? Down through the years. That's the price you pay to have what we have. We're no one special this morning. Brother George, I want everybody to go this way. I want everybody to want this. I want everybody to be hungry for God. But some are not going to go this way. Hey, some of you sitting here this morning, this may be the last message. Because you say, I'm not going that way. And I, I hope that's not true. But if you, if you go another way, you say, well, preacher, what are you going to do? I'm just going to keep on preaching what I've been preaching. There is no other way for me this morning. You say, you're just too narrow-minded. Maybe I am. But there's just no turning back, Brother McDaniel. I'm telling you, there's, there's no other way. These new ways and these new churches and all these new things that's going on and these new Bibles and all these new songs, there's no other way this morning. I like that old song, I have found the way. Brother, I tell you, I found it 28 years ago. Drowning in my sin and my sorrow. I found it, amen, with no hope inside. I found the way to a little old storefront building on a kitchen chair in the back of that building. I found it on my knees on that hot July summer morning in the year 1988. I found the way. And brother, it's been a good way. It's been the best way. I wouldn't do this. And if I had it to do all over again, I'd do it all over again. He's the best friend I've ever had. He's my companion. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I talked to him in the morning time. I talked to him in the night time. I woke up in the middle of the night and it felt like you're standing right there. He's real, praise God. He's good. He's glorious. He's the best thing that ever happened to us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Is he not the best thing that ever happened to you, boys? 
I'm telling you, get full of God. God's more real. He's more better than anything you'll ever know. Get him on, on your life. Pay the price. Tell the world goodbye. Say hello to Jesus. Serve him to the rest of your days. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't even back up. Stay with God in old time religion. Preach it right. Preach it tight. Preach it straight. Stay with the Lord. And it'll be worth it at the end of the journey. Amen. We may not need that building, amen, after today, but it'll be all right. More than I want a new building. I just want God to be in this place. Oh, how we need him. We need him in our life, amen. Too high of a price to pay to get rid of some things. I've been cleaning out to the garage and uh, Lord, that's a, that's a job. How do we get so much junk? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've seen things I ain't seen in 20 years. I've seen things, Brother Caleb, I bought them five times and found four of them finally. And I was going through some stuff yesterday and it's kind of like Christmas time, you know, you open it up and you have no idea what's in there. I opened this toad up and I was looking through it and I... You know, my wife wasn't out there, so I was like, she don't need this, and she don't need that. <laughs> she don't remember this. You know, thank God for black trash bags. Somebody say man. <clears throat> if you buy clear bags, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I just shoved them in there. I said, she don't, she don't ever know that was there. And then I came across something that, oh, Lord, I came across something I hadn't seen in a long time. It was the first baseball trophy that I had ever got when I was six years old. It's a piece of junk, I'm just going to tell you. It's rusted. The plate's off of it. The bat's broke. You know, first little, little league trophy. No, it didn't go in the black bag. <laughs> I looked at it. I said, man, this is a piece of junk. But it brought back so many memories when I was a kid. I wasn't a good athlete when I was six years old, I can tell you that. Now, some parents, are like their kids are going to be superstars. Baseball was a babysitter to me when I started out. But when I looked at that, I remember the first fly ball I ever caught. You know how I caught that fly ball? I was standing in left field. Left field's where you put the worst player on the team because the ball very seldom goes there, and that's the truth. And so I'm standing left field, and I was bad to pick up rocks and throw it at the third baseman. That's pretty much how I practiced. And I was standing out there one day, and I can still remember this. Somebody hit that ball, and it came, and I saw it come, and, man, I missed every ball Brother Lay had ever come out there. It came, and had to be God. Ball comes, I stick my hand out, and I catch it, just like that. Shocked me as much as it did everybody on the team. I looked at that ball and I remembered that when I looked at that trophy. And I put it up there on the shelf and I kept it. It ain't worth anything to anybody else. But it's special to me. And I'm going to tell you something. It's old time way. It ain't worth much to this world. They wouldn't give you anything for it. But it's worth a lot to me.
As Cape, I look back and I see memories after memories of serving Jesus. And I know if we just let up on some things, well, I'm telling you what, we'd have to build a new building in a hurry, wouldn't we? But the, the things that we would give up, most of all, we need the glory of God. I'm telling you, don't you ever be satisfied with halfway serving God. Don't you want to... What trouble's going to come in all of our life one day. There's going to be a day in all of our life and we're going to have to drop to our knees. Some of us already know what that's like. And I'm not talking about a light bill and I'm not talking about a... And I'm not minimizing that, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a time when trouble is going to come in a wave. And you and I are going to have to drop on our knees and we're going to have to touch heaven and there's not going to be time to call somebody and say, pray for me. And when that time comes, I want to, I want to be able to reach right out and get a hold of him. I said this morning coming to church, I said, dear God, don't let me preach by myself. Please help me this morning. Please help me. God's real today. I'm full of mistakes. I tell you, my biggest enemy, Brother Mike's me, this old flesh. I fight it every day. I, I, got, I got a list of things. I wish I could just get them all right. You know what I'm talking about. I struggle. But I'm glad God's merciful. I can get on my knees and I can say, Lord, would you help me this morning? I prayed about something on Monday. I said, dear God, I said, I need help with this this morning. You know, by dinner time, God just, he took care of that for me. I appreciate that. Don't you appreciate it when God does that? I'm glad I got a father. His eyes are over the righteous. His ears are open to the prayers. And I wonder as we stand this morning, I'm not just talking about praying. I'm not just talking about singing and preaching, but I'm talking about doing it. With God's touch on your life, God's blessing. Those things, those stands that we take and those things that we say, they sound harsh to this world, but they don't mean it that way. It's just we want church to be real. We want God to keep moving. I don't want people to shipwreck their lives. It's a battle, friend. It's a battle today. I'm telling you, God will help you if you'll get on this altar and say, Lord, I want you to be real to me. He'll be real to you. He'll be real to you. I'm not talking about something mystical or sensational. I'm talking about the reality of God. He will be real to you. The relationship is real this morning. It's so real. It's so real. My brother Blake sings this song. If you need to come, you mind God. If you're not saved, I invite you to come this morning. You have longed for sweet peace. Oh, yes. And for faith to increase. How about it this morning? And have earnestly, fervently prayed. How about it, friend? But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed. Until all on the altar is laid. Sing it, church. Can you say that this morning? Have you put everything on this altar? Have you yielded yourself to God? Sacrifice laid. Your heart does the Spirit control. You can only be blessed. And have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your 
body and soul. Hey, look at me before we sing that next verse. Let me tell you something about what we're singing. Putting your all on the altar. That doesn't mean you live perfect. That doesn't mean you do everything the way that, you know, everybody thinks you should. That's not what that means. You say, Brother Gravely, do you, do you mess up? Sure I do. But I'm going to tell you what all on the altar means. It means I've taken my heart and my life and I've put it on that altar and I, I'm, I'm a dead sacrifice to do whatever God wants me to do, to be whatever God wants me to be. I have no will of my own. I have no goals or ambitions. God, it's whatever you want me to be and what you want me to do. And I'm going to tell you something. When you do that, God, in spite of the mistakes, in spite of the failures, when your all's been laid on the altar, God will work with you. On the other side, listen, you can have it all right on the outside, but if that heart's never been surrendered, if that heart has, ne- if that heart has still got stubbornness, jealousy, envy, strife in it, you're never going to be blessed. I think that's why sometimes people get completely out of church. And then when they get out of church, they blame everybody else. It's almost like they're bitter at others. And I think the reason for that was all the while they were doing the things that they were doing, not for Him, but for them. Amen. You hear how quiet it is right now? Let me tell you something. It's not them. It's not their fault. Why you do what you do. Is between you and God, not between those around you. Don't if you're that way, don't spend your days blaming others. I've heard people say, "Well, you know what? I got hurt in church, and I did all this, and I, you know, it's just because I was pressured and do it." Who pressured you, friend? You're a free moral agent today. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it for Christ? If you do it for Christ, it'll last. If you do it for Christ, when others quit, you'll carry on. If you're doing what you're doing for Him not them. As you're all on the altar, while we sing another verse, others need to come.